0: Last time on Montreal Sauce.
1: We don't know why we're here or, like, what we're doing here, but it doesn't matter, like, it doesn't matter anyway because, like, what matters is that we're just existing here.
2: Speaking of uh, existential crisis, uh, (laughs) I remember having quite an interesting... uh, chat with you about school as well. Like I know you were having trouble with school and I I wanted to bring it up because in past shows uh, Paul has also expressed um, and I I love this part. Um, Paul, the (laughs) dad, has expressed like schools are stupid and no one should go there. I'm just kidding. I'm putting words in his mouth. But (laughs) he's also said that like uh, it, it can not be helpful to people. So I was just wondering how you were doing with that issue where like you just I don't know, I guess I don't want to put words in your mouth. You should say it yourself, but you were having issue with going to school because you weren't sure if yeah. it was right for you.
1: Yeah, I just, it's really boring for me. <laughs> um, I don't know. I feel stuck, to be honest. Um, yeah, it's just because there are so many skills, like, in the programming industry that you can learn on your own. And uh, yep. you don't really have to go to school for that. So it's just, I don't know. I mean, I started programming when I was about 13 or something. Mm-hmm. So just going to school now and learning the same stuff that I already know. And then it just, it just makes it sort of boring. I feel stuck there. You um, know, I was expecting to learn all of the other skills that I don't have, you know, like project management and so
0: on. But, oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah.
1: But I'm not learning they don't any teach of that. that stuff. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, so I guess I should just go out there and, and do some work at some company or something. But um, the problem is, of course, that I need my degree because uh, in Mexico, it's very, very different from the US where I understand that you can just show up with your portfolio. And I mean, I guess I guess a degree does give you a lot more um, credibility. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but I understand that that just, you know, having a good portfolio can get you hired in pretty much anywhere. Unless it's like some super hardcore company like Google,
0: right? <laughs> yeah, where they expect you to have two PhDs. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, that's that's certainly true. Uh, in the states, at least, I think in in this field, in the in the in the IT slash programming field, if you have a, uh, like GitHub is your resume for a lot of for a lot of places. Uh, if you can walk in and say, um, you know, I've, do, I've done significant contributions to a couple of open source projects or uh, here's some examples of websites that I've done and I've got them posted on GitHub and people can can look at that to see kind of what you do and what you're about. Um, then beyond that, it's kind of like, what's your experience uh, having a degree can open doors in certain kinds of businesses because there are also businesses where if like the HR, if the human resources department is defining the job, you may not even get in the door if you don't have a degree. Um, But there are so many smaller businesses or businesses where HR is not the ones ultimately making the yay or nay decision and it has to do with the higher, uh, an actual hiring manager who's actually in the department that you would work in. Um, I guess I would use my experience as an example, since it's really the only experience I have. Uh, I haven't yet figured out how to suck other people's memories into my brain yet. Um, <laughs> in in my experience, uh, I I went to school. Um, for programming for about a year and a half and then I took a break and then I, when I came back I actually went for film and video and that's what my degree is in um, and I got my foot in the door at the place that I work now partially because I had that film and video degree and they sort of needed somebody to part-time do video work and then partially because I had a decent portfolio of programming stuff that I had done on the web and they what they really needed was a web programmer Um, and so I do think my degree helped me, even though on a day-to-day basis, I don't use, I, I shouldn't say I don't use it because there are things that I learned in college that I do use on a daily basis, but it, none of it is the technical knowledge. It's the stuff that I learned by having to do the projects themselves. And that gets at the things that you're talking about, like project management, um, I actually learned that with my film and video degree by having to do projects with a bunch of other people. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And that's where those schools, uh, like the folks that we've talked to at the Center for Digital Media, that's where an experience like that can really be very different as a student because um, they might not necessarily teach you like proper project management practices, but if they're going to stick you on a project that is going to be very challenging with 10 other people, uh, the leaders are going to try to figure it out and the followers are going to get the work done. And that is, that ha- kind of has to boil itself out and people have to use sort of their natural talents to figure out where they're going to fit.
1: Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's it just, I don't know, I guess, I guess there are many, many skills that you don't get to learn in school, learn on your own, um, out there just with your experience.
2: Yeah, I think uh, is it my turn to rant. <laughs> I think yeah. um, I think there's a problem with education these days because uh, it might you know back when we uh, back when we had the whole uh, big three automakers in the states start to go bonkers and uh, we had this little phrase pop into the media too big to fail. Like, I always think that it's sort of the opposite. Like, they're big enough to fail because they've stopped doing, like, what they did best in a lot of cases, whether it's a company or an organization or, you know, Hollywood movies. Like, they get to a point where you have to sustain this more and more and more rather than make it sustainable. Let's sustain the profit, (laughs) you know. And I think schools have fallen into this. A lot of uh, mm-hmm. universities. So it's, and I'm and I'm graduated. And I'm still saying this, so I don't know if that means I'm immature or not. But uh, <laughs> you know, there's so many of those. Like have to take courses. Um, That just don't make sense, and someone like you and myself get bored in those classes because they don't have to do with what we want. And it's okay if, like, those classes that you have to do, quote unquote, are classes like project management and stuff like that that you didn't know that you needed at the time because you're very passionate about like the kind of thing that you're interested in, like programming. So you're like, "What do I need to learn that for?" Um, But then later on, you're like, oh, I'm glad I took that. But it's not. It's like silly classes that they're throwing in there because, you know, they need to make sure they have the enrollment every semester and all of this. You know, it's I mean, schools are great. They're like, aren't 100 percent like at least in the States yet, like all business. But I feel like they've gotten a taste of that and they've gone down this path where, it's, uh, yeah, it's just not a good environment for learning. It's a good environment to learn how to take orders, which is helpful when you get
0: into the work world, but <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I would say I had a much better experience in college my second time around, but that Same. was, that was for me, that was because I had kind of decided what I was really going for instead of going I'm going to go to school and get a degree in computers because I'm good at computers. Um, But that's not necessary. I don't know that I would necessarily recommend that either. Like, I'm Arturo, I am not telling you that you should drop out of school, take a year (laughs) and a half off, and then go back and get your degree in music or something like that. Because I don't, you know, that's not, there's no guarantee that that is going to work for you um and it would be pretty tough for you to go like you said it's a it's a cultural thing it would be tough for you to take a degree in music and go get a job in computer programming um but that's probably where there are more jobs i'm i'm fairly certain there's more jobs in computer programming than in music right now at least in terms of full-time jobs
1: jonathan is dying
0: inside right now i'm sorry jonathan (laughs) (laughs) you're awesome and your music is awesome and you should make lots of it and you should follow your passion. You should definitely do those things. And at the same time, there's a job out there that is going to have to pay your bills. <laughs> and it might it might not be making music. But you should take the time now to make that music.
1: But you know what? I mean, right now there is this booming industry, which is the video games industry, and they like the video games industry always needs musicians. Very true. And that's like a combination of everything that's awesome into one single package, which is programming and art yep. and music. And yep. yeah,
0: just, yeah. <laughs> there, there's always this, I don't know if it's necessarily always, but I feel like there's commonly an opportunity in newer media because the, the people who are doing the traditional form, um, the people who are you know, trying to become a composer so that they can write music for movies, people who are um, just trying to make it as like a solo artist. Um, there's very well-established people doing that, and you have to compete with them. But when there's newer media, video games is still kind of a, a pretty new media, very experimental in a lot of cases, and the way that music interacts with that is totally different. And if you can find a niche there... Uh, and you're interested in that, there's a ton of opportunity. Um, And so kind of trying to be on the edge of where things are going and then mix your passion into that, um, you may find the opportunities are a lot easier, and then you get to become one of those established people that other people have a hard time kicking out.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I think uh,
0: one of the other issues is –
2: We as a society, and I think it's sort of universal at this point, but we, (laughs) we, um, we equate success with the amount of money we make and that's
0: completely wrong.
2: And like, actually, um, I wanted to, I toyed with the idea, uh, This spring of having Arturo come on as a guest and I was going to try and get um, my wife's cousin on because he went to school and I don't remember if he finished or if he dropped out. But I believe he studied something like English or philosophy and um, regardless of what he studied, when he got done with university, he started working in a bike shop. He loves Mm -hmm. bicycles. He has a room in his rented home full of bicycles and bike parts, and he rides to work every day. And, you know, he works as a salesman and a repairman. And this is exactly what he loves. And I remember this story probably because my dad was in the same industry. But, but like, it's just always interesting to me because, like, he recently got married and they. Share like one car, and there are a lot of sacrifices that he probably has to make because he's on the salary of someone who works at a bicycle shop, but he's happy, you know? Like, yeah, if Jonathan wants to make music, if Arturo wants to make music, like. I think, like, if you have that will, regardless of, like, the viral, like, you're going to take off and be the next John Bon Jovi or something like that, you're – what a horrible example. Uh, (laughs) You're going to, like, be happy with what you're doing yourself. And so maybe you don't get to have, like, that cup of Starbucks today because it's not in your budget. But, like, you do get to go home and make music rather than, like – join the grind and do something you don't like because you want to pay for your like Porsche you know
1: <laughs> yeah what one of my personal heroes is um this guy who okay so my best friend used to date this girl right and uh, this girl is the daughter of a Vietnam War veteran who lives here in Mexico but he lives in a in a little Town outside uh, outside some city about I don't know like three hours away from Mexico City, and um, he just has his this really modest house with uh, I to this day I don't know what he does I think he's a carpenter but um, he just lives there and has his chickens and uh, he he's, he's got his uh, a huge uh, sort of yard. With uh, fruit trees and um, and like vegetables and stuff, and he's got tons and tons of books, and he just he just lives there, and he's he has a very very quiet, very modest life. But he's one of the happiest people I know. Like he does he doesn't even live in a city, you know, and which right now, which I mean, like in Mexico, not living in a city is like one of the one of the greatest impediments you can have. Mm -hmm. to have like a, like a comfortable life, but, but he doesn't, you know, he is, he's quite happy and and I really admire that. And he's one of my personal heroes because like he, he's, he's just like super um, like he's just okay with everything, you know, He, he doesn't want anything or need anything more than what he already has. And, you know, that's just really something that I admire a ton, you know, he's just, he, yeah, he's just, Really realized. Um, I don't know if that's the right word. You know, he realized himself.
0: Mm. Yeah,
2: yeah. That's it's interesting that you bring it up because um, my only trip ever to Mexico, um, I went to Cozumel and stayed at a resort, and we took a trip to the mainland and drove in a bus for a very long time, and went to Chichen Itza. And um, I remember driving through some of these towns. And, you know, at some point, like because we were on a group with tourists, people were like, wow, I just can you believe people live like this? And I was like, I don't think you're seeing the whole picture. And they're like, what do you mean? <laughs> I was like, look again when we drive through the next town. Like, yeah, some of those houses look no better than a shack but on the roof is a satellite dish because what's important to them is probably the ability to watch a soccer game because the other thing you'll see in that town while the houses may look a little bit bad that soccer field is the most exquisite piece of lawn i've ever seen in my life yeah right (laughs) and i was like it's just priorities like you know, it's just these people live a different lifestyle, and maybe you're right. Maybe uh, those people do live in poorer conditions, but they seem to be maybe happier than we are. As we're like, oh no, the air conditioning's broken on this damn bus, you know? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, which is which is one of the one of the main critiques uh, about uh, charity programs, right? Because like. You've got these white people going to these communities and trying to, like, indoctrinate them into the white lifestyle, you know? Yeah. Sort of like, hey, you know, you don't have, uh, you don't have internet or electricity or anything, you know? You must be really unhappy. (laughs) And it turns out they're not.
0: Right. Yeah. Exactly. Start with, start with food. Just yeah, start with yeah, food. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like, yeah. Are, exactly. are they fed? Yeah. Do they have shelter? Do they have clean water? That's like that's what they need. They'll decide if they need, you know, electricity and uh capitalism. Yeah. They can figure that
1: out. <laughs> These dirty capitalists. <laughs> <laughs> right.
0: Yes. <laughs> so true. Let us show you the ways. <laughs> Competition will solve this. We need more farmers. No, we don't need more farmers. we need more water,
1: yeah, right, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't want to know anything about the free market. I just want food,
0: yeah <laughs> right <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and i I mean that's that's another thing i think it's I think it's amazing the the growth in the um the the biggest thing that the business world is talking to beca- talking about because I'm suge- subjected to business people uh on a regular basis the biggest thing they're talking about is the growth of uh of like mobile phones basically everywhere else in the world um how how uh countries that have never really developed a, a large base of people using uh, the internet previously kind of skipped over the whole phase of having computers because computers were never practical. but smartphones, really cheap Android running smartphones are totally practical because they to- they don't use up very much power. you can charge them with a solar panel. you don't need to have a grid to sustain them. You just need to have enough cell phone towers that they get some kind of a signal and just enough power to keep them charged and they're like growing like crazy apparently. Um I think that's I think that's an interesting thing. Um I don't know, you know I don't I don't have the perspective of somebody who's not a white male that lives in America. So I don't know what it's like to be outside of that culture and suddenly receive like the internet in mobile phone form and have access to all of this information 98% of it you can't even do anything with because it's not in your language. But even what is in your language or translated into your language is probably so like first world culturalized that what, what do you do with that either? And at the same time, these things are growing like crazy and people are, um, people are getting them because they want to, probably be, simply because they want to communicate with the other people that are around them, that have them um and stay in touch It's the right. only thing i can think of
1: yeah but but is this growth uh happening in in uh indigenous communities in mexico or is it just like in the u.s and stuff
0: uh it's it's around the world it's oh, around I the see. world i mean like in the in the united states um i i think we're pretty close to the idea of having like a computer basically in every home and so whether or not there's internet really in every home, there there probably is because that's kind of the reason that computers really started to take off was the idea of the internet and email and staying in touch with your long distance relatives. But in the rest of the world where like there's less likelihood to be a power grid, um, computers were never really practical because how do you even run them? They just take up they just take too much power to make it practical. But um, with a mobile phone and a fairly small solar panel, you could kind of run those anywhere, as long as somewhere there's a cell tower.
1: Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Well, um, I guess, I guess uh, some communities might benefit from that. Here, I mean, I guess I can see how how this growth happens, but mm-hmm. on the other hand, the contrast is so stark between city life and these indigenous communities some of these yeah. indigenous communities yeah where i mean some of these people live in like asbestos houses or cardboard houses mm-hmm. in the middle of the jungle so i mean they don't even have roads or anything or yeah, like sure. some of them don't even some of these communities don't even have concrete buildings or, or and stuff so i mean you can't even expect um, cell phone towers to be around. No, right. So yeah, I mean, some of these people have to walk like several uh, kilometers or miles, I guess, for your audience uh, <laughs> to get to get to the nearest water source, and they have to carry it in like buckets and stuff. Yep, yep. So yeah, I mean, I guess I guess I can see how this this growth is happening, but but I mean, some communities in Mexico are really, 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 really poor.
0: Yes. Yeah. And, yeah. And it's what just, do they, and what does a community like that even need, you know, with electricity uh, uh, to some extent, let alone, um, let alone the internet or that kind of, that kind of a communication thing when, to your point, I mean, they're still, they're not even necessarily thinking, I'm solving this problem of not having enough water or I'm solving this problem of not having enough food. It's more like, this is just where I go to get water and this is, these are the things that I eat. Yeah, exactly. And they're yeah. around me and nature provides it and, and I don't need to worry about it. I just need to do the work every day and it's, yeah. it's fine.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I visited, I visited a few of those communities um, for some uh, curious circumstances, but yeah, I mean like the main problem with these communities is that they basically all of their income comes from agriculture Mm -hmm. and the disparity between agriculture, uh, labor, and everything else is immense.
0: Yeah. So
1: the main problem is that even though agriculture is one of the main pillars of our economy, of society, Mm -hmm. um, it's one of the, the most undervalued... Uh, economic avenues. So, I'm um, like, if if we really wanted to improve uh, the lives of these people, um, obviously, like the the first step would be to to uh, make basic services available to them. You know, just yeah. piped water and yes, and electricity yeah. and stuff. Yeah, but but the other thing is really just eliminating that disparity. Between agriculture and all of the other sort of professions, which is it's a very, very sad problem because indigenous communities and agricultural communities are one of the most forsaken um, sectors of Mexican society. I don't know how that works in America. I mean, I guess I guess that's why so many people go there to America uh, mm-hmm. as immigrants, you know, to work on, on the to do that sort of labor because at least there they get uh, a decent pay payment for their for their jobs. But here they're just very uh they're just forsaken here.
0: Yeah. And it's I mean that in and of itself is interesting. I mean in, in my in the community that I grew up in um which is uh Hudsonville which is a few uh a few miles or a few more kilometers uh outside of Grand Rapids. <laughs> it's a vi- it's a pretty rural community um but it I mean it's it's certainly not lacking for amenities. I grew up with what we call city water which is you know piped water it doesn't come from a well. It's got chemicals in it that make it sanitary <laughs> effectively. Um you know uh Everything plumbing, cable, <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> you know it's it's like living in a city except there's actually space around you. Um, you're not just shoved up against other people everywhere you go. Um, it, but we were we're <laughs> the the slogan of Hudsonville is Michigan Salad Bowl because we grew lettuce and onions and corn and every basically everything. And yet there were really not very many farmers in our community. There were, um, you know, probably 20 different farmers that owned all of the land. And the majority of the people who would come to actually help us out during the harvest were migrant workers who were mostly Mexican. Um, And they were um, they were doing that work kind of. You know, we were paying them what for us would be way less than what we would pay people who were. Um, uh, I I don't want to use the word legal versus illegal because I think that has <coughs> totally the wrong connotation. But people who were not immigrants would not work for what we pay people who are immigrants, and yet those immigrants are happy to be there and put a very hard day's work in because that is a lot of money for them that they then take home and even send some of it home. Right. I mean, that's the common thing that they do is send it back to their family who still lives in Mexico. And in Mexico that, that money goes along a lot further than it does because of cost of living and all of that stuff. So,
1: yeah. Yeah.
2: Oh yeah. um, Yeah. It's, uh, I, I was just thinking as you guys were talking of, uh, There's a film that I bought recently. Um, I've been meaning to watch it again because I enjoyed it so much, but it's called uh, That Sugar Film. And uh, just because uh, my recent, well, not so recent anymore, uh, diabetes diagnosis, it's a really interesting documentary. But one of the segments that he does is, um, I think it's the Northern Territories in Australia, um, it's kind of like the situation we have in the States where we've taken the um, the Native Americans and we've put them on reservations. You know, Australia has done similar things to Aboriginals and where, you know, there's controversy in the fact that we have um, perhaps damaged some of these communities by, you know delivering alcohol to them or whatever. Um, The same thing has happened in Australia with Coca-Cola of all things. So these Aboriginal communities in the Northern territories of Australia got addicted to Coca-Cola and it was like the highest selling region per capita for like Coca-Cola and these aboriginal stores and so they actually like started to pull it out and then like people were having all kinds of issues and it's just really interesting like when like first world sort of stuff like our products get into these communities like are, what are we bringing them you know <laughs> <laughs> kind of to like what arturo is saying you know like uh, are these like mobile devices helping people or aren't they? So Mm -hmm. like Jonathan mentioned in the chat room, like Google's balloon internet, which is um, a takeoff of Facebook. Like it was a number of years ago, but the only reason, the only way you could get on Facebook, say in Africa, was if you had a Facebook SIM card. So you would take out your normal SIM card and put that in and you could access Facebook in a limited kind of way. Because they already have everyone in North America. They're looking for new customers. And so (laughs) then Facebook's, like, thing, like, a few months ago, like, similar to Google's, like, balloon internet idea, is to make these drones that fly around and give off free internet, like, free, quote-unquote, from Facebook. (laughs) So it's interesting, like, that the third world has become, like, or... Countries that are maybe not first world have become like this new market because we've already sold everything to the first world. So now we have to find more people because it's all about more in capitalism. (laughs) And what really makes me even more angry about that is that I'm in a first world country of Canada. And like we discussed earlier in the show, I don't have access to these things. (laughs) (laughs) because because there's only like 300 people living in Canada well licensing and there's only 300 of us so they're like why do we need to market to them yeah
0: yeah that's the real first world problem Chris is licensing yeah (laughs) right (laughs) actually the only the only real first world problem is what happens when capitalism collapses uh for some reason like what if we just didn't have enough food it right. kinda of, it kind of wouldn't matter if you're a computer programmer or you know, or a musician or any of those these like more complicated things that you can do in society because ultimately you rely on the fact that you can do something for money and that money will buy you food. And there has to be food to buy. Right. <laughs> or it's gonna exactly. break. Right? That's
1: that's my problem with uh with the whole notion of the post-scarcity economy. Because I get to to see firsthand how it is so not post scarcity. I mean, like maybe in the U S you have like machines doing stuff that, that people don't, don't do anymore. But like here, when you think about those communities that live in the middle of the jungle, well, obviously they have to do their, their, all all of their stuff by hand, you know, just to have something to eat.
0: Yep. (laughs) Yeah. I, I, I think there, I think there will be a post scarcity economy, assuming we don't find a way to blow each other up before then. Um, I think, I think we'll get there i don't think we are there i think in the united states um there are lots of people who believe that we are there uh and those people are white um <laughs> yeah because no, not. because they had i mean they have enough money to pay for whatever they want and it's not a problem for them because they already have that money right <laughs> like, and maybe it's because they earned it and they worked really hard and they earned it but Odds are better that uh, they worked about as hard as everybody else, and they just happen to have a privilege, and they just happen to earn more money. Or uh, there's plenty of people who just plain inherit a lot of money, and right. so it's not and it's not a problem for them, and it, and it paper papers over a lot of the other problems that exist, even still in the United States, which is the wealthiest economy in the world. Um, a lot of the problems get papered over because because there are a lot of people who have power and have money and think that they earned it over somebody else.
1: Right. And I mean, like maybe your purse isn't made in the U S anymore. And like, maybe (laughs) like your avocados are not grown in the U S, but I mean, they obviously come from somewhere. I mean, your clothes probably come from Malaysia. Your tomatoes probably come from Mexico,
0: you know? So, yeah. I mean,
1: maybe you're not doing the work anymore, but the work is being done somewhere.
0: <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, yeah, if I have... Yeah, a, and I... A... I... <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, Chris.
2: No. No, I was just going to say, like, I I feel like the uh, the idea of a post-scarcity society that, like, we live in, supposedly, it's it's a false one. It's just, like... Um, to break it down, even into like the simplest thing, it's just like, um, America right now to me seems like a Facebook post. Like we're only going to talk about the things like that we want to display (laughs) and say about ourselves. Right. We're not going to talk about like our homeless problem and you know, like the fact that like, yeah, um, most people like live below the poverty line at this point in America. (laughs) Like, yeah. Yeah, it's pretty crazy.
0: I mean, if we're if we are willing to uh, argue and call our president names because of the idea that everybody in the United States should just have health care, like that's just a thing that people should have. If we have to argue about that, then we don't live in a post scarcity economy like we don't live in a post scarcity world if. People still have to buy food and buy health care and buy housing. We're post scarcity when there's so much of that stuff that nobody has to pay for it. That's yeah, right. like the real idea of post scarcity. So um and I think you know, I think that we are on a trajectory where we could get there. Uh I don't know that we're politically ready for anything approaching that because I do I do think that a lot of people have a problem with the idea of fairness and how we earn things, but I, I do think in you know twenty to thirty years in the United States it could look very very different. Now the rest of the world, uh, whether that whether that becomes a thing in Mexico, I have no idea. I have it no idea. <laughs> you know? it, it probably won't. You know,
1: it probably won't.
0: Yeah, and and. Uh, when you talk about indigenous communities, I don't think it's even right for us to push that on indigenous communities unless it's a thing that they, you know, are asking for and want. Yeah. Because to our, what we were talking about so long ago, like, are they even just happy the way that they are, you know? maybe to them there are they already live in a post scarcity economy because they have enough water and food and they just figured out how to make it and live with the fact that they have to do it themselves yeah
1: yeah which which brings to mind the whole uh notion of we live in a super uh, I I was I was talking about this with a friend uh yesterday uh, we live in a super postmodern postmodern world where mm-hmm. our immediate worries are whether we have, um, you know, how many likes we have on our Facebook posts. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and like yeah, those people, like maybe their whole purpose of 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 life is just you know subsisting.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To your point, uh, my mom just posted in the. Um chat room that she sat in the eye doctor's office and like 26 people were waiting there and the president's speech was on the TV and not one head was turned to listen to him. (laughs) Yeah. Like I suppose like, yeah, we, we all have like our own priorities and whether that's like how many likes you have on Facebook or, (laughs) (laughs) but on the other hand, what's what your score is in candy crush.
1: (laughs) On the other hand though, I really admire uh, the states, like the people from the states, because everybody seem, seems so interested in politics. Like, it's such a universal subject, and it's so transparent, apparently. I mean, compared to <laughs> Mexico, at least. Yeah. You know, people people sure. here just, you know, people are so tired of politicians here that we just don't care anymore. People just don't care about, you know, what politicians say anymore.
0: Mm.
1: Yeah. And it's and it's like a black box here, the the the, the political machine. Uh, nobody really understands right. how it works, and if you do, then either you're really corrupt, <laughs> or <laughs> or you're lying.
2: <laughs> yeah, and it's funny that you say that because um, I mean I think it's it's always the company you keep. Like uh, so, because I felt like. A lot of people were sort of uh, waning with uh, the political engine in the States um, when I was there already, and, like, the campaigns go on for so long, and da-da-da, like, I think it was just the people I was interacting with, because then when I moved here, I was like, I had the same thoughts that you have about the states. I was like, wow, like everyone in Canada is so politically engaged. This is crazy. And to the point where they're like asking me stuff about American elections because they're like, a neighbor and they get so many like American television channels that like they know everything that's going on in American elections as well. I'm like, wow, Canadians, like they're crazy about this stuff. It's amazing. Mm -hmm. I feel stupid and I'm from America and they're asking me like what I think. I'm like, I don't know. You know more than I do. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, maybe we should stop trying to fix the world.
1: Maybe, yeah. <laughs> um,
2: I was going to ask you about your music because you uh, make music on occasion and I didn't really know because I, I saw the the piece that you posted on SoundCloud uh, two months ago maybe, but uh, I didn't really know until I read your site today that you're a classically trained guitarist.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I, I went uh, – to a conservatory is that how you pronounce that um yeah yeah okay I went, I went to a conservatory for two years but then i dropped out but i've been playing guitar for about what like 13 years now i think 14 years wow yeah no more, more like 15 years actually um yes i'm a classically gu- trained guitarist i i have an electric guitar as well I love synthesizers, and, uh, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, it's it's yeah. like I'm a composer, like like Jonathan. I just I'm more of a of a performer.
2: Yeah. Okay. So, and and by performer, you like you just like doing it, or do you actually like get out in front of people and perform?
1: Yeah, I get out in front of people and perform.
2: Wow that's awesome. Yeah. I saw like, like that you have a micro cork, and I was like, wow, we don't have to do a show at all. You can just hook that up and go.
1: <laughs> yeah. Synthesizers are awesome. <laughs> you yeah, also like listed
2: working. on your, Oh, go ahead. Sorry.
1: No, no, no. Sorry. Sorry. we was just going to say they're one of the, the, the best machines ever invented.
0: We should ask yeah, you I to, watched- uh, We should ask you to do some kind of a closing theme song for us or something like that so that we can actually close out with music.
1: Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Maybe I could collaborate with Jonathan.
0: That would be awesome.
1: Yeah.
2: We could pay you with our fat Patreon dollars, which is like four at this point. Yes. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, Yeah, I, I actually... I mean I know the name Korg cuz they're huge in the synthesizer world but I was like oh so what's this uh thing that you own and I watched like a YouTube video on it and I was like oh that is really kind of cool. <laughs> <laughs> um what's the other um uh, what's the other uh musical instrument you have listed on your site which I think is sort of regional?
1: Oh yeah, it's called a uh... Uh, jarana it's very very nice i love that that instrument it comes from veracruz which is the the easternmost state in mexico it's also the longest state covers most of the the uh, gulf of mexico coast um it's carved out of a single piece of wood which is fantastic
2: um,
1: wow yeah it's got uh, double strings. uh in, except for the for the first and last one um, it has like a very very tropical sound very bright also very loud would you like to hear it
0: yeah that would be awesome
1: so um, it's also very very hard to play because like these people from from uh, from Veracruz um, have influences from um well basically, this instrument comes from is a direct descendant of the baroque guitar which the Spaniards brought here and then it got mixed with uh African influences from the slaves that they brought here and then it also got mixed with uh some pre hispanic um uh musical stuff influences so it's it's very
2: yeah, it's like uh it, it looks similar, but like slightly larger, but I read that they come in different sizes uh but it looks kind of like a a ukulele, right, but it's like got a ton of strings,
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's one two three four five, five strings uh three of those are double and then the first and the last one are are single strings um yeah and uh, well the, the metrics the the strumming is very very crazy, very uh Wonky metrics, very with lots of uh, syncopated notes and stuff. It's kind of hard to play it. I actually only know know two ways of playing it, but um, yeah, I should. I uh, one of my my dreams is to go to Veracruz for a full summer and learn from the locals how to play this instrument. So I'm just gonna check if it's if it's tuned. It's got a very bright sound. I love it.
2: (laughs) That's very cool. Yeah, that was awesome. (laughs) That's exactly the same song I play when I'm checking the tuning as well, I swear. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's actually even tuned uh,
1: like the ukulele. It's uh, G on the first string. It's, uh, I don't know the names of the notes in English. Wait, um, it's G, it's A, B, C, D... Uh, well, do you know the names of, uh, of the notes in like the, the traditional Baroque with the traditional Baroque names? Because I don't know how, what they're called in English, <laughs> like the equivalences. Hang on. I'm gonna just Google something real quick. <laughs> well,
0: yeah, yeah no, I, I don't know. I don't know, I, I don't know if they're names other than just the letters of the, the initial letters of the alphabet, A, B, C, D, E, F, and G, and yeah, then a sharp and flat. Well, in Spanish, they're called uh,
1: do, re, mi, fa, sol, la, si. It's seven books. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Do,
0: re, mi, fa, sol, la, ti, do. Yeah, yeah, right, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, so anyway. Oh, I learned that in the sound of music.
1: (laughs) 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 That's really cool. Yep.
0: When I was learning uh Russian in um in uh, college, my Russian professor found out that I played the guitar, um which I'm only modestly okay at cuz I'm self-taught and uh then uh she demanded that I learn to play the balalaika, which is a traditional <laughs> Slavic type of basically a, a ukulele but a like a Slavic type of ukulele and I I'm trying to remember I did learn to play it. Uh but she wasn't real happy because what I learned to play was the theme song to Tetris. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was like this is the thing that sounds super Russian to me, right?
2: <laughs>
0: wow. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Nice. <laughs> That's uh I never
0: knew that about you. And then there was another one. There was there was something that was like a traditional Russian song. Um Think it was called Tsar Nikolai um, that I learned to play, and that one was actually uh, fairly complicated. Um, but I mean, it's about as complicated as it gets for a for a small ukulele-like guitar that only has three strings. So,
1: wow, three strings!
0: Yeah, yeah, and they're basically tuned. Um, uh, they're tuned like what I would call on a guitar like a power chord. So it's like G, C, G. Um, So they're ah. just in fifths. Really easy.
2: Oh. Hmm. Oh, oh boy. Like, I have more notes, I have more questions, or we can do a dreaded quiz. It's up to you guys. Maybe we don't have enough time for a dreaded quiz.
0: Yeah, we're uh, we're just about at two hours, so I think um yeah yeah you just need to lay a little bit more music on us and then we can uh we can close it out <laughs> Well I don't have anything
1: prepared that I can play by myself with the with <laughs>
0: <laughs> gotcha
2: But uh um, I will beatbox then <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you could uh rap some
1: <laughs> I don't know <laughs> <laughs>
2: Yeah, speaking of rap, I don't I haven't watched any of the new um the new Muppet show that's on because I was kind of Oh boy weirded out by by the idea of it, but I did see a clip the other day that apparently I missed, but it was this Swedish chef um doing Rapper's <laughs> Delight, the original rap song. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, that's kind of amazing. Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> I should cut some chunk of that out and stick it in our uh, interview with Taryn when we release that. Is that that the the song
1: that's been sampled, like, many, many times by everyone?
2: (laughs) Um, I'm sure it has been, probably. It's, uh... Yeah, it's... Supposedly it's the first song, but... Or first rap ever, but, um... And I know it has been sampled and people have redone it, but I actually took like, uh, on a trip to New York to meet my then girlfriend, now wife, uh, her, one of her friends that she was traveling with was like, I'm going to go on this like tour. Um, and you guys are welcome to join me. It'd be a lot of fun, but I can understand if you don't want to. And her Canadian friend was just really into hip hop. So she was taking a tour in New York, um, of, it was a hip-hop tour. <laughs> and I was like, all right, let's do this. So we went on a hip-hop tour and um, Grandmaster Cass was uh, a rapper uh, and he, he still is. And he took us on a bus trip uh, around like all these like famous areas for New York hip-hop. And we went into Harlem and we went to some school and um, he took us to all these cool places like and... Um, and then according to him he was actually uh performing rapper's delight before it hit the radio and um some record producer came around and approached him and his friends and said you know like we'd love to produce this like let's do this and a couple of his friends said yeah and him and some other people were like yeah let's you know we we don't want to get screwed over by record companies because they're famous for it and uh he's like i'm not gonna do it and somebody else was like yeah me neither and so they just grabbed two other guys and did it and so he's like that's technically a song that i was part of and it blew up and it's huge and it's sampled and all these things and he's like and i get no credit for it because <laughs> they picked out this guy who was a friend in the neighborhood who washed dishes for a living, and they said, can you rap? And he said, yeah, sure. (laughs) That's my hip-hop story. (laughs) And scene. (laughs) (laughs) But I have no chops when it comes to rapping. Do you, Arturo? No. No.
1: No, I'm terrible. I can't. I can't. I can barely speak English because I'm Mexican and I wear a sombrero. And you're asking me to rap now with like no, rhymes and everything. No, yeah. no. I when I, when I told my mom I I, I'd be on a podcast, she said, "Okay, that's great, but now come here and help me with this nopal and get on your burro and go get me some tortillas." <laughs> <laughs>
0: Sorry, that's terrible.
2: <laughs> that's 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 not fair because I I've heard uh, Mexican rap songs before. I don't yeah, know what yeah. they're saying, but you know I watched Breaking Bad. Come on, <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. We have we have uh several rap groups, hip hop groups uh, in Mexico. Some of them are about. Uh, drug uh, drug trafficking culture mm-hmm. some of them are mm-hmm. about uh and some of them are protest music yeah mm, some good. of them are great some of them are terrible <laughs> <But> yeah yeah
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> sounds like a music scene yeah 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 totally is <laughs>
2: <laughs> well yeah we should uh we should head out then because it's getting late and, uh, we've taken enough of your time. Uh, so I really, uh, want to thank you for joining us as a last minute guest. Cause, uh, I appreciate it.
0: No, Thanks no. My so pleasure.
2: Much for joining us, Arturo. It is always my fun pleasure. to, uh,
0: <laughs> to have somebody who's a fan of the show on as well. So thank you.
1: Oh yeah. No, my pleasure again. My pleasure.
0: Um, where,
2: where can people find you? Uh, that's the traditional podcast thing. Like, uh, <laughs> where can people find Do you? Do you have anything you want GitHub to pimp or right now? Or <laughs> um, you right. can
1: find me, uh, with my Twitter handle, which is, uh, Arturo VM. And, uh, you can also find me on my website, which is ArturoVM.me.
2: Nice. And uh, yeah, go to ArturoVM.me and find links to his other things like his GitHub and participate uh, in Postage and Pond and make it awesome.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, for sure. Thank you. That would be appreciated.
2: And thanks for everyone for listening. My mom says thanks even. Uh, so thanks everyone for listening and everyone in the chat room, uh, Jonathan and we had BNB for a while and someone else who's, uh, been lurking in there most of the day. I don't know who it is. Stucks away. Um, yeah. So thanks for everyone, uh, to listen. And, uh, next week, uh, We are doing Film Frown again, and if you think last week's movie broke Paul, this one might just break the entire show, so
0: (laughs) if that doesn't sell it, I don't know what will. It won't be Film Frowning, it'll just be flat out Film Crying.
2: (laughs) Yes. We are watching a movie called um, Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D., which was made in the 90s, and the... Person playing nick fury is not who you think it is it is instead the
0: Hoff. so <laughs> my only memory is when i watched so terrible i'm excited
2: i when i found it last year and i watched it because i thought i might write about it for that uh website that i've been writing bad movie reviews for um when I watched it, I, I have no memory of this film because uh, I think the next day <laughs> I was spent massaging my jaw because it was just open the whole time. <laughs> I just have no thoughts. So I'm scared to watch it again. But, uh, yeah, that's
0: uh, next week at this time. and So it doesn't even qualify as, like, a bad episode of Knight Rider? <laughs> no, uh, I don't know. Man.
2: Yeah. His co-star is that uh, woman who... All I know, what is she from? She's from Collagen Injections. I don't know. Lisa Rinna? Um, Yeah. So. Okay. (laughs) Weird. Uh, Anyway, so that's what we'll be doing next week. Uh, Thanks again for listening. And um, you can find me. Right. Yes, we have to do something like that. You can find me on Twitter. It's uh, SickDays, S-I-K-K-D-A-Y-S, or go to SickDays.me and see what the heck I'm up to
0: Um, and then you can also find Paul uh, but not at sick days somewhere else right yeah you can find uh, you can find me on Twitter I'm at Paul D uh, or you can go to uh, Padizio.com which has links to some of my other stuff like my blog and my YouTube videos and all of that Uh, or you can go to uh, Paul D. Sexy if you just want a giant picture of me (laughs) And your browser, <laughs> um, which you may have, but you know, don't, I do. Don't be creepy.
1: <laughs> I, I have your uh, sexy picture of you, my browser. Oh, good. All the time. No, it's, no, it's, it's my it's wallpaper. Actually, <laughs> it's on my it's on my pin tabs.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, great. <laughs> Oh, and it's uh, my also, wallpaper. you should go to patreon.com slash msauce uh, if you haven't yet, and uh, look at the delightful rewards that you can give us for giving us a few dollars, or even a dollar. Um, we will give you the high fives of angels.
2: This is true. It's a and, real thing. Uh, <clears throat> and we're, we're, we're trying to earn money to buy an email address, so... We can contact you.
0: (laughs) I also need to buy... I may need to buy a replacement fan for this iMac at some point. It stopped making its noise, which leads me to believe either what was in it came out or the fan itself no longer rotates and my iMac is about to catch fire. (laughs) Halt and catch fire. So. (laughs) Uh, Yes. uh, So, yes. Thank you for listening. I'll let Chris actually wrap it up.
2: (laughs) Mom says what dot com? It's Patreon p a t r e o n dot com
0: slash correct slash m m
2: sauce Amazon mom yes okay stop there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yes. So I'm supposed to take us out. Right. I say something at the end of the show, something that has to do with Montreal, even though I'm not there. Uh, oh, he posted the link. That's smart. Um, (laughs) uh, yes. If, uh, everyone enjoy your week, the rest of your week, which is only one day I should do this more often. (laughs) Right. Uh, (laughs) and then the rest of the week, if life gives you potatoes, make poutine.